0: Deadlines Doc Talk episode is sponsored by National Geographic Documentary Films, presenting Bobby Wine, the People's President. In Uganda's 2021 presidential election, music star, activist, and opposition leader Bobby Wine rallies his people in a dangerous fight for freedom from an oppressive 35 year regime. Bobby Wine, the People's President, starts streaming on Hulu and Disney Plus October 6th.
1: Hi, I'm John Ridley, writer, director, and founder of No Studios.
0: And I'm Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline Hollywood. And this is Doc Talk,
1: a new podcast where each week Matt and I dig into the critical content being created by some of today's most outstanding documentary filmmakers, storytellers, and industry leaders. And this week, Matt, you actually have a conversation. Talk about six degrees, two degrees, one degree of separation, uh, an actor who has. Had an absolutely amazing career, and I can say with pride and honor, I, I got to work around him, not necessarily directly with him, on actually the first film that I wrote that was ever made. That film was Oliver Stone's U-Turn. And of course, you are referring
0: to Sean Penn, the two-time Academy Award-winning actor and star of the film that you wrote, U-Turn, also with Jennifer Lopez
1: jennifer lopez first of all i just i have to say really quick it it's weird all these many years later that was that film came out in 97 to think that the first film that i was anywhere around a oliver stone directing sean penn jennifer lopez nick nolte billy bob thornton claire danes joaquin phoenix i mean that wow It 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 doesn't get any better than that they're all Outstanding performers.
0: Uh, Sean Penn, of course has been part of American life, if you will, for many, many decades. He's had a documentary made about him, Citizen Penn. He's been involved in producing documentaries, best known, of course as an actor. but he is the director of a really powerful and important film called Superpower, which uh, is now streaming on Paramount Plus and this is built around his interactions with President Zelensky of Ukraine. He took an interest in Zelensky, a former comedian and and performer who then got into the political arena, uh, embarked on this project and went off to Ukraine, little realizing that Russia, within a matter of months, would invade and lay waste to that country. So he was there as the invasion was starting, his film, his superpower, one of the a number of films about Ukraine that are coming out now with something really important to say about the stakes of this conflict, not only, of course, for Ukraine, but for the United States. Here's my conversation with Sean Penn about Superpower. Superpower, the documentary directed by Sean Penn and Aaron Kaufman, is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. This is Sean and Aaron's exploration of Ukraine at a moment of existential peril, and how President Volodymyr Zelensky has responded to the crisis. The following clip from the film, Sean Penn visits an apartment building struck by a Russian missile His guide the occupant of a destroyed unit.
1: I'm not offering any tea, I'm sorry. I'm going to be a rude host. This was a living room. That was a bathroom, and restroom.
2: Yeah, this is not structurally sound anymore, is it? No. So what are you doing now? Just clearing out the it, things that can be salvaged.
1: Yeah. So I actually asked some military guys to help me out. They came Yo. here to clear everything. They try to make sure that we actually can take anything. So I try to find like really uh, sensitive stuff, like maybe pictures or like some other stuff. Yeah, that's it. Like I just wanted to find something.
2: What can we help you carry? Nothing. It's
1: it's done. It's done. Okay. It's done. We took everything that we could. That's
0: it. Welcome to my home. Sean Penn, thank you so much for joining us on Doc Talk. Thanks for having me. So your original intent was to make a movie about this unlikely political leader in Ukraine, a former comedian who somehow, uh, you know, managed to get elected and then was dragged into what became the first impeachment of Donald Trump. But uh, obviously it evolved considerably from there. But what intrigued you initially about uh, Zelensky? It's
2: not a linear path to it. It's my friend and co-producer, Billy Smith. He and I had had a few attempts at making some documentaries. Always for me, you know, whether it's as an actor in, in film or what. My organization CORE does in the field, um, and here, with the making of a documentary, I try to look for a gap um, where we're not repeating the value added of others and saying, okay, what, what's a connector that we would be a value added in? And so Billy and I had started on a documentary related to Syria uh, when Aleppo was on fire, and I felt that if I could bring something to that party, it would be if I could gain trust of all stakeholders and have access to all stakeholders. And bit by bit, uh, the promised access was decreasing, and I didn't feel that it would be much value. So that, that one had fallen out. Another one, for similar reasons, had fallen apart. When we were on that path to make a film together, we'd met at um, CGI in New York one year and had a lot in common, both actors, both interested in a lot of the same regional conflicts and what it means to the United States. And and so he had gotten in contact with a friend of President Zelensky's, and and I thought, you know, after the kind of throwing yourself around the world in harsh places, this would be a kind of a lighthearted tale— Maybe that's what I was in the mood to do at this that time, and it wouldn't be a heavy lift because I had carpentry projects I wanted to finish around my house. I didn't want to spend all my time doing And then it turned into something, you know, on its own much more. But the gap, fill was to try to give context through the perspective of someone who, but for my, as I say in the film, you know, weathered but famous face and the access, that can sometimes give me to people and places and my ability to you know, financially sound enough, I can travel spontaneously like I I was able to do here. Uh, Aside from that, I would be pretty average uh, absorber of the information about what's happening in Ukraine in the sense that I would care. I think I'm reasonably intelligent and I would be very confused by now as to the context. So let's afford other people to go along with me and get a sense of the context focused in particular on the last 30 years of uh, Ukraine's independence and where the new Ukraine and the young Ukraine and the young leadership of Ukraine uh, is today.
0: And certainly exploring Syria and Aleppo would be very good preparation in the sense that that was a preview of what Putin would do in Ukraine.
2: Exactly, yeah.
0: You got to Ukraine and you arranged this meeting with President Zelensky, at what point did you begin to think there could be an invasion here and this could get very, very ugly
2: indeed? Well, the could-be's were the same as everyone else. Um, You know, it was being reported increasingly all of the uh, informed pundits and intel community representatives uh, were increasingly absolute that it was going to happen based on the movements that they were seeing. Myself... I, I did not think it was going to happen for quite a long time. And I I don't, I don't. would say that I got to Ukraine in the week, the second trip on the making of the film, which was the trip where I met President Zelensky the first time off camera. We were there for several days waiting to meet the president. And I would say it was, and at my first meeting with him was the day before we started shooting, which happened to be on the day of the invasion. Um it was two days before that where I felt reasonably certain that there was an imminent attack coming. We see, of course, the day of the
0: invasion, and you get that call or that notice that President Zelensky intends to keep your appointment, which is an extraordinary thing, But and we see it in the film, but can you share what your emotions were, what you were feeling as this... Um, meeting with President Zelensky, a wartime president at that point, is, is about to happen.
2: You know, I was told, no uncertain terms, that there were already pre-placed Chechen kill squads in the streets of Kiev who were after specifically the president and his family. Um, so the threat, and, and by that time also the airport uh, was 15 kilometers away from where we were, had been taken by the Russian commandos. Several of the exit routes were occupied, and we were hearing that there was an imminent encircling of Kiev by the Russians. And thinking about the man that I had met earlier that day, being that that target, being in this position against a gangster with nuclear weapons or uh, what they call a superpower, was heartbreaking. But having been there the day before, you know, you're going through security checkpoints. Sure, you're, you see soldiers, a certain profile of soldiers, but you come in the next day and those young guys and girls in uniform are, if he's the target, it's not a theoretical problem anymore. All of these young faces that we would have seen, you know, in a kind of uh, soft posture the day before are now likely going to face imminent battle for their lives. And so walking through there, all the lights are very low because everything is shut down. And, and, and seeing these faces, these hundreds of soldiers in the hallways and young faces pondering how the world just changed and that they're at the front of it. It was, it was extraordinarily... I was terrified for them. And it was just kind of like um, the, the courage was so so extreme, you know, this here, there was actual military engagement moving increasingly our way, intermittent missiles coming in, kill squads looking for this guy. We're driving through these streets that are dead, but for the military, you're not seeing anybody. And uh, going to see that guy in the, in the middle of it, facing down a nuclear power, the courage, very moving. I think one of the key questions
0: for viewers is why President
2: Zelensky would keep the meeting. I don't think there's any question about why. I I hoped that the film we walked away with could be of value to the mission, but his mission is clear and he's been, well, I would say the greatest example ever of, uh, you know, using every opportunity to communicate to the American people, to the Ukrainian people, first and foremost, uh, but to the world. And I think he... Saw in it an opportunity to uh, for this to be one more uh arrow in the quiver um of that communication, and and I hope that it will be. And I and and one of the things was that from the beginning we told them, Look, if we we're not going to protect the reputation of this documentary, if we stumble on something that is of value to you guys, we'll give it to you, right? Uh, stumble on something with our cameras, or if. At any point, you, you know, you just need something discussed. And so it was a sort of living document, and we were willing to, we could be in an, a, a stage of just assembly or experimentation in the edit of the film, and we, as we did in Berlin, just you know, show it, because it was as finished as it, we didn't know what finished was. We knew, because it wasn't really just a film for us, it was really to be useful in this situation, and bit by bit, sort of wrote itself into the structure that I had wanted, which is to give context. And so I like to think that we achieved that and that, you know, if it is now finished and streaming on on Paramount+, and, and it's showing on network television in Ukraine, and we've sent it special delivery with Russian subtitles elsewhere.
0: I thought you were going to say to the Kremlin... With the bow on top.
2: Oh, it's it's going through firewalls as we speak.
0: It's brought up in the film, but you, over 20 years ago, met Putin. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you had tea or a samovar or not. Probably not. But uh, at that point... The West had a very different view of him. President George W. Bush famously said, I looked into his eyes and... Yeah, I think I think we can trust this guy. A lot of people were fooled. But uh, I'm just curious, as I'm sure other people are, of your kind of recollection of
2: that moment where you were
0: at the Moscow Film Festival and there's Putin at the table with you.
2: Well, I would be false advertising my, um, <laughs> you know prophetic uh, sensibilities (laughs) if I had said that I really put it all together but I in processing it even then even in Moscow what one saw and felt was at odds with the dancing that we were doing at the end at the quote unquote end of the Cold War and that Russian institutions were not able on their own to absorb democracy as a system and that we were so busy dancing in the you know Perestroika and Ronald Reagan, the great communicator on the wall, coming down in solidarity. We forgot to take a look and see that the Russians, by and large, were not experiencing anything better. They were just getting more gangsters uh, um, oppressing them, more kleptocracy. And so there was the only dancing, I use that word, it was um, the very wealthy and the very powerful. Everybody else might as well still be in the breadline and we're, and were treated as such. So there was what I would call a long period of us looking the other way and wanting to trust because it's easier than feeling like you're still in the Cold War. And it's nice to celebrate that we've looked what we've achieved in this thing. We backed down the Soviet Union. And yet, the Russians didn't share in that, and so their imaginations were beaten down enough that they would continue to accept somebody like this monster that's running the show there now.
0: Deadline's Doc Talk episode is sponsored by National Geographic Documentary Films, presenting Bobby Wine, the People's President. In Uganda's 2021 presidential election, music star activist and opposition leader Bobby Wine rallies his people in a dangerous fight for freedom from an oppressive 35-year regime. Playlist hails it as a portrait of unfathomable political courage, and the San Francisco Chronicle boldly declares it a clarion call against authoritarianism. The film made its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival and has screened at Telluride BFI London International Film Festival, True Falls, among many others, taking home audience awards at the Hamptons International Film Festival, Boston International Film Festival, and CPH Docs. Bobby Wine, The People's President, starts streaming on Hulu and Disney+, Plus October 6th. As we see in Superpower, you later on traveled to the front. You were within like 150 meters of Russian positions. There, we see a, a bridge position that Ukrainian forces were defending. Why did you want to go to the front?
2: You know, I think to tell the story, you also got a there's a party that's an audience, is an audience, and the audience I wanted to get to was not all just interested in uh, the lessons of a film, if there are some. I, I want this to have a broad audience, and I feel that you know. It's true that a lot of 17-year-old boys—well, I won't say a lot, but I would like young men and women in America to have any reason to watch this film. And I, and I think that without that section, there's that. That's one part of it. Um, this isn't a, a project of, you know, the way that we sometimes smugly—by we, I mean a lot of filmmakers, and I've been one of them— Say you know, I just do my work for myself, and if it, you know, if it's value to anybody else. That's gravy. This case, in this case, it wasn't like that. I wanted to make something that Democrats, Republicans, young, old, it could be of value if people were willing to watch and listen, and and would have, you know, not. T- it's not meant to be another guts and battle and horror every second film. It's to have some levity sometimes, and to have a sense of the exhilaration that you have to let yourself feel in those situations, and you know, so that it's. I don't want to say entertainment. I guess I, I just wanted to I want people to feel it like we felt it, and um, and that makes its own. You know, human drama in a way, and against the backdrop of this incredible extreme history that was happening in front of us. But I also, of course, felt obligated to go and talk to these soldiers on the front line and let the audience come with me on that.
0: Yeah, and I I think in some ways the central message of the film is Ukraine is our fight. Our meaning the West, certainly the United States—
2: well, it's our—we share in it, and we share yes. in its outcome. It's certainly their fight, but we definitely share in it.
0: Yes, and I think that you, you know, repeatedly make that point that if we don't support this effort now, it's not the end of the story. Uh, President Zelensky told you Americans will fight in the future if they do not support Ukraine's fight for freedom now.
2: Right, and he, and he genuinely does not want that to be the case. Look, I I I think it's very clear that conservatives in America are uh have dwindling support for the what I think is a sacred obligation of the United States um for so many reasons. Uh, whether it's global economy or it's the Budapest memorandum and uh, you know our standing in the world of d- deproliferation at some point again it's really 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 important and but on the left, there are, you know, I, I never quite thought that I was going to see myself referred to as a hawk, which I tend to see things when, when good friends want to send me bad news. You know, I don't, I don't go looking for commentary on me, but I will see these things sometimes. And I saw this one and I thought, well, these people are, let's say, I'll pick it, five years, four, three years from today going to be the activists stridently, self-righteously speaking out for the need for the United States to support starving North Africans. And I would like to roll the tape back and say, how do we get there? Why are they starving? They're starving because we let the Russians cut off this shipping lane and, and pollute three feet of the most valuable agricultural soil on earth that, that is feeding so much of the world. And let people die simply because they're fighting for their own sovereign freedom and have their infrastructures destroyed. So I would say that, you know, the luxury that so many of us have to tout, you know, peace at all cost, negotiation. How dare we talk about their negotiation? How you like it if somebody took New York and your mother and father lived there and now you can negotiate it away for peace and let them live under occupation? It it so repels me, the perverse pleasure people take in, their increasingly fluid notion of progressiveness and compassion. And it's just an, an idiot show of politically correct morons and it makes me angry. Because the aspiration of the party, I believe in it. I'm going to vote Democrat. But I already know how embarrassed I'm going to be doing it.
0: It's been one of the things that has perplexed me as I've looked at at this. And I really appreciate the moral clarity I think you are bringing to this. But we have very, very grave crimes against humanity being committed every single day. The targeting of civilians In the most indiscriminate and brutal fashion, we—has to be condemned for what it is. And and that's a—to me, is a really important service of your film. And and you—one of the scenes there is where you visited a bombed-out apartment complex. Who targets an apartment complex and why? He, Putin, he's not had a lot of success in actually targeting their armed forces,
2: that's right. You, when, you, when you're a bully, you go after the weak and call yourself proud. And that's what he's doing. And it's also what we jointly are too much, uh, too much allowing him to do with, uh, with our uh, political bickering and, and the spinning of the story. Take all of the other politics out of this story in Ukraine. All sides agree. Your Republican leaders agree. Your Democratic leaders agree. The world agrees. This ha- is happening. 20,000 children have been kidnapped from those occupied and then later maybe even liberated areas brought into Russia and 20,000 who are being educated to hate their parents, their country, and to become subjects of this dictator. And along with all the abuses that happen when you house 20,000 children with a lot of bad people, that's right now. What else do we need to know? President Zelensky at his address at the U.N. brought this up.
0: And for those who think this is Sean Penn making up some statistics, this is from the New York Times earlier <clears throat> this year. Quote, in the 13 months since the invasion, thousands of Ukrainian children have been displaced, moved, or forcibly transferred to camps or institutions in Russia or Russia-controlled territory. Again, you took the example of, of New York. If New York was seized how would Americans react if some other country came and seized 20,000 of our children, and deported them, took them off somewhere?
2: But we also need to think about the ways in which the, the kind of cyber attacks that Russia does, you know, the way it, it, it interrupted our political system. What, let's take Donald Trump out of it. Just we do know that they were taking active measures in this area and continue to and have trolls all over the bots all over the world. So... One of the things is the divide and conquer is the old method. So how would Americans react? Well, at first, they'd have a lot of steam. And bit by bit, they'd be told to have be disillusioned with their leadership. And then they would follow the enemy's guidance to a degree, as we have done here. We have to remember that Ukrainians are flesh and blood. They're people, too. And we've got to get that support to them in such a bold way now, before they get interrupted in this unity that can really be the greatest gift that we get from taking the opportunity to be part of their fight and not dwind little bits of the arms coming in. Do it now. I think the president should enact the Defense Production Act on behalf of getting, because if they're gonna talk about our stockpiles dwindling, and if you put the calculator next to it, any rational person really looking at it honestly, intellectually honestly, will see that long-term, the price we pay now is much more than the one we'll hand down to our kids. Money, not to mention lives. Your film was
0: dedicated to Major Andre, I'm going to not pronounce his name. You can, Last... you
2: can use his call sign, Juice.
0: Juice. And we see him in the film. Tell me, tell me about him
2: and dedicating the film to him. I'll reverse engineer it. Um, a week, two weeks ago, I was in Kiev and showed superpower to his mother, um, an extraordinarily bright woman, Lilia yeah. is her name, and I think she will, and is becoming quickly the sort of the symbolic mother of the Ukrainian Air Force. She's a university professor, speaks impeccable English, and she she carries the anguish of the loss of her son, but she carries it. Well, very much like all of Ukraine seems to be carrying their anguish, they're carrying it with, with purpose and, and, uh, and compassion. And she described Andrei as not being a military man. And I think that anyone who sees the film will see in his way that what she means by that is that even in his pursuit of excellence as a fighter pilot, in his leadership as a fighter pilot, in his courage in the skies, it's because those are the tools of compassion today in a, in a completely upside-down reality that, create, that Putin created, uh, a, a criminal insanity and ugliness. They counter it through their warfighting with a kind of deeper humanity than most poets have. And he really embodies that and did as a presence. And and it, it really does personalize for me how we've been letting them down with caution. I suspect that there are advisors, one in particular that has had too much of President Biden's ear, who I understand historically to be a creature of caution. And I've said this before, but I do think that caution can translate to cowardice and that it, that despite some of the terrible missteps steps in, in, in Afghanistan and in not having gone whole hog uh, for in support of Ukraine, and that I have a lot of respect for President Biden and the, the, as a public servant, as a guy who got on the train every day and went and saw his family uh, while he was in the, you know throughout his political career, a good man um, and a guy who knows his way around. Politics, and uh, I, I think that he deserves the legacy that he will get by committing uh, these assets in a an absolutely robust way. Now, and I do think it'll actually be politically advantageous to any candidate that might do that whether they're Republican or Democrat, because this is an unambiguous war. And it's that, it, again, I think it's, a, it's an opportunity for America to heal and improve beyond its history.
0: Do you care to uh, specify who you're referring to in the administration? Is that the Anthony Blinken, the Secretary
2: of State? It's not Anthony Blinken. Mm-hmm. I don't want to <laughs> specify because I, I, I would want to say it to the man's face okay. first, and I ha- have not had the opportunity to do that. But it's right. not Anthony Blinken, and okay. evidently it's a man. So we'll leave the guess. All right.
0: Okay. I'm curious about where you get your moral compass from, because you have never, certainly in your, your time in the public arena, you've never been shy about stating your opinion, but it's one that comes from clearly a very strong moral core. And was that from your parents? I mean, where did that? where do you, where do you think that comes from?
2: You know, my my—I was telling somebody that there was so, uh, something similar in my father and in and in this younger than me uh, fellow Zelensky. Um, it can it can be said that one of their powers is that they're comfortable in their own skin, and I think that you are comfortable in your own skin when you surrender to the moral compass that we all have available, I really do. And for me, as someone who. Uh, why was I so much of my life uncomfortable in my own skin? Well, because I, I was, in my own way, violating um, that morality, but not in a level of, you know, that we're talking about here, of course. But I was familiar. I think if I have moral clarity, it's less based on— uh, it's lamentably based on, and increasingly— um, Being familiar with corruption on some level from my own and um, getting increasingly impatient with that and um, trying to shed it and fill it. There was something said about um, evil, which is the the, the best they could define it was the absence of good. Most people have a lot of good in them and if they just get rid of the, you know, the whatever their grinding demons and bullshit are and, and take a look that we all have we all have a moral compass handy
0: so it's, it's an implicit challenge to yourself this is an, in a sense a personal journey yeah sure john penn it's been wonderful to speak with you about your film Superpowered, co-directed with aaron goffman streaming now on paramount plus thank you so much thank you Thank you so much to Sean Penn for joining us to talk about his documentary Superpower which is streaming on Paramount Plus. John, I think uh you have to give Sean Penn credit. He's done a lot of humanitarian work around the world in Haiti. He's obviously put himself at risk of going to Ukraine. He knows that he's a magnet and a lot of people on the right like to toss darts at him and yet he's still willing to throw himself into the arena and bring this, what I think of as moral clarity, to the situation and to express his outrage over what is happening to the people of Ukraine. And by extension, to signal to the American public or anyone who sees the film, like, this is why we all need to be concerned about what happens there.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things I really appreciate, it's not just a documentary at a distance. Um, He is willing to go there like any good documentary filmmaker and really dig the story out of the ground, excavate it, and do it in a very personal way. So um, for someone of his stature, for someone who could be doing many, many things, as you say, it's really a testament to who he is that he puts himself into the story and makes sure that people have a better understanding of what's going on in the wider world.
0: And I didn't get a chance to ask him about it, but there's a fairly lengthy section or extended section of the film where he's talking with Sean Hannity on Fox News. They're not exactly political bedfellows by any means, and yet they find some common ground on on Ukraine. And that's another thing that I think that Sean Penn deserves some some praise for, as he knows that he's effectively going into the lion's den there. But, you know, he sees a larger importance of, of again, getting that word out that we need to think of the crisis and what's happening
1: in Ukraine as our collective battle, if you will. Yeah. Um, Excellent documentary. Appreciate you taking the time to speak with Sean Penn. Um, But coming up, we have yet more excellent documentaries, yeah? Yes, next week uh, we'll be talking
0: with uh, filmmakers Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss for their National Geographic film, The Mission, which is an extraordinary story of John Chow, a young evangelical who made it his personal mission to go off to a remote island with uncontacted indigenous people and try to convert them to Christianity. And that did not end up well at all in the mission. Uh, that our mission is to tell you about the National Geographic documentary on the next episode of Doc Talk, hosted by John Ridley and myself, Matt Carey. We've got new episodes every Tuesday, John, and uh, we hope the audience will join us.
1: Well, I'll see you then. Thank you, Matt. This is Doc Talk.